I kind of pushed it a little closer and I can push it closer yeah. and closer. It's just so cool. I know, right? It's pretty fun. Some people are afraid of it, but I'm glad that <gasps> you think it's cool. I'm like, <laughs> more reverb. <laughs> Always more reverb. Welcome, welcome to Chutzpah. I am so happy to be here. I am so excited to introduce our guest today. My guest is from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and has lived in Louisville for about five years now. She is currently the curator of Jewish collections and Jewish community archives at the Filson Historical Society here in Louisville. She used to be in a rock band and is the truest of dog persons. I met our guest through a random email about a quilt and then deepened our connections when we realized we have a mutual friend. Thanks, Emma. Please welcome the, quote, friendly and melancholic Dr. Abby Glogauer. Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Bridget. And I still need to follow up on that quilt email. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, let's start off. uh, Let's talk about some confidence where where do you think your confidence comes from and um how do you maintain that on a daily basis oh my goodness okay i think that confidence can be innate and it can be learned and different people are in different places in the matrix right for some people it might not be very innate and so They work a lot on building it and learning it. I think I'm the opposite of that. I think I was just born with a tendency to speak up Mm -hmm. and speak out. And so, if anything, I've had to learn to dial myself back. (laughs) So, where does it come from? I I think it's innate, and I think it's, you know, maybe encouraged here and there. Sure. Um, But where it comes from on a daily basis, oh, right, um, all the amazing people in my life (laughs) (laughs) who lift me up and support me. That is absolutely true. No, no, no. But I think, think honestly, some of this is just innate. Mm Mm-hmm. Not to be deterministic about it. Do you have to, like, kind of bring yourself down a little bit on a daily basis? Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll say level yourself out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Have you heard about foot and mouth disease? (laughs) Where you are always (laughs) in danger of putting your foot in your mouth, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I feel like I'm somebody who who is prone to suffering from that. But it's just because, I don't know, I'm engaged. I get really excited about connecting with people, um, sharing stories, sharing information, uh, and it just starts going sometimes at lightning speed. Uh, I'm one of those people who talks as I think instead of really needing the time to Mm -hmm. pre-plan what I'm going to say. Although I do do that as the occasion calls for it, but, um, yeah. 
it, it I do I do need to dial it back sometimes. And well, that's, you know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you might need to dial it back just obviously. Sometimes just to get through a day, right? But in other ways like that could be super inspiring for so many other people, right? And sometimes we need that energy boost. Because I can kind of fluctuate a lot where, like, if, especially, you know, when you read the room, right? You enter a room Mm -hmm. and everyone's trying to figure out, like, okay, are we enthusiastic? Are we kind of jaded? Do we want to be here? Do we not want to be here? Who's going to engage? That kind of thing. And to, like, have the people like you who are like, if I'm here, I am here and we are doing this thing is so integral in the vibe for lack of a better word of the room and like what's gonna happen so yeah you might need to dial it back for yourself but for the rest of us we're like no yay be keep doing that (laughs) thank you i appreciate that but i think it also comes in measure and something Mm -hmm. i've really had to work on especially in a professional context is really Giving quiet people the space mm-hmm. for their their genius yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be. So, um, luckily, I had the good sense to 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 marry um, a thoughtful introvert <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> who's who's teaching me in the ways of the proper care and feeding of mm-hmm. introverts, and they're just like this amazing other species to me. <laughs> like, wow. How does your brain work? Yep, yep. That's that's kind of my relationship with Jacob. He is very much the extrovert, and I'm like, Um, I'll speak when asked a question or prompted, and that's about it. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I I don't feel that. I don't feel that way about you. I think it's because in in these scenarios, I've had the natural prompts. It's when it's like brand new, or if, like if I just enter a room and it's like, go on, make a friend. It'll be like, whoa, um, can I just eat a cookie instead? <laughs> so, yeah. I do like cookies. Right? I think I'm just kind of hungry, honestly. <laughs> oh, no. You got to eat before your podcast. No. <laughs> Look, this is a, I'm a Jewish grandmother in training. <laughs> yeah. Always worry about are people getting enough go. to eat. Yep, yep. Well, this might be a good segue. Maybe we talk about some Jewish grandmas. I don't know. But can you tell me a story about a time when you had some chutzpah? Actually, this is funny. I have here. It could be good. Or maybe you put your foot in your mouth. So. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned, you mentioned grandmothers and chutzpah. Um, my... Grandmother, actually, this is going to sound so antiquated, she actually w- washed my mouth out with soap <laughs> when I was <laughs> a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I know it's like you read about that in books, and you're like, does that really yep. happen? And no, so it's it's like when you say, tell me about a time, you know, when, uh, what was the question when you were... When you had some chutzpah. When you had some chutzpah. My entire childhood was one uninterrupted episode of chutzpah. And um, I was always getting in trouble. And it's interesting because I read, you know, I've listened to your podcast and, I, and I've read the intro and I love this really empowering, beautiful spin mm-hmm. that you put on chutzpah. But it has a really dual meaning for me, especially having uh, grown up in it. Orthodox household, yeah. chutzpah was not. 
something you wanted to be doing mm-hmm. as a kid. Right. If you were being chutzpah or, you know, it was basically like you were acting bratty, you were mm-hmm. speaking out, um, you were talking back, like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Now, why did Bubby attempt to wash my mouth out with soap. I might be mixing up two stories. Maybe it was my mom who did it and my bubby just threatened to do it. <laughs> Somebody did it. Mm-hmm. It was mom or bubby washed my mouth out with soap. Um, and, you know, and I don't even know what it was for. It really could have been for anything. Um, and, uh, but I don't want to give the impression that I was mean or utterly obnoxious. Uh, I just pushed. I pushed a lot, and I asked a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. and um, I didn't like being told what to do. (laughs) Sure. Did chutzpah kind of have a different connotation for an adult versus a child? Ooh, interesting question. So, yes, chutzpah, another word that comes to my mind when I think of the chutzpah that I grew up with is, Mm -hmm. like, impudence. Mm -hmm. And... I think that adults, that's something that adults can do as well of any age, right? So it's also, I think it's important to remember, I grew up in a, in a rabbinical, in a rabbinical family. My father is a rabbi, um, and it's so funny, I never really, I've never really thought that much about what it's like to be a kid in a non-rabbi's family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure if it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's, like, really interesting and probably a lot freeing in some ways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every parent brings home their work stress, right? Yep. And, um, and I think parents do a lot to shelter their kids from their work stresses. But, you know... Rabbis have to put up with a lot of um, challenges to their authority or yeah. their leadership. And that was this kind of, like, recurring theme that I was aware of that, you know, oh, somebody did something very chutzpahdik to my dad. Mm. Even if I didn't understand what it was, <laughs> he might yeah. have been talking yeah. about it with my mom. So I'm, I feel bad I'm coming in here and turning the whole conceit of your show on its no, head no, and being great. like, chutzpah's bad. But, but maybe this is about me reclaiming, right? How do we yeah. reclaim chutzpah and put, put a positive spin on it? Because there's so much value there as well mm-hmm. so kind of like what are the what are the good sides to the bad yeah to the bad side well and i've had people ask me and really question this before like just kind of in comments and in conversation where they're like this is not what i think chutzpah means at all like what are you even talking about and like i appreciate that but that to me is the point is that i from what i could tell and from like my community there is sort of this reclamation of it to be more nuanced than we may have thought it is. Mm. And that, I think, is the key, is to just allow for nuance instead of black and white. It's either this or it's that. It can be everything that you've experienced it as, and I think it can be someone who can be inspiring. Like, they really said what needed to be said and shook the boat a little bit. Sometimes the boat needs a little shaking. I completely agree. I completely agree with Lovely. That. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have any other... Well, you talked a little bit about 
the essay and mm-hmm. um, a book that you have been a part of. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that story? Or maybe just, like, give a hint, a gist to it so that we still have to read it? Yes! <laughs> but, okay, but I want to make, make a plug. Yeah, a plug yeah. for a book, and it's it's germane. Our essay is germane. So this is a collection of essays that was recently published by Ben Yehuda Press. It's a Jewish press. The editor is a... Um, a uh, really cool uh, uh, young uh, a queer scholar of uh, uh, Yiddish and, and Jewish studies. Um, her name is Dani Bernstein, so that's the editor of the volume. It's called um, Artifacts of Orthodox Childhood. Um, Orthodox childhoods, rather, plural, many. Um, <laughs> and it's a collection of essays, and they range. Some are, some are personal reflections. Some are kind of critical essays examining uh, uh, songs, stories, um, uh, various, you know, pop, pop culture uh, in, the, in the Orthodox Jewish uh, childhood sphere. So my one of my oldest and best friends, um, Sarah Feldman, uh, Dr. Sarah Feldman, who is a preceptor <laughs> of Yiddish at Harvard University, knew the author and, and queried them and said, okay, my friends and I would really love to contribute an essay to this, but it would be a little bit different. I don't know if you're interested in it. We would love to write an essay analyzing and reflecting on a piece of uh, culture that we produced as adolescents Mm -hmm. uh, when we were sophomores in high school at Akiva Hebrew Day School, which is a a modern Orthodox day school in the Detroit suburbs. We published, people can't see me, but I'm I'm making air quotes, right? We published... i.e. scissors and glue (laughs) and trips to the photocopy Mm -hmm. shop. Um, We published a zine or an underground literary magazine called, are you ready? The Heresy. (laughs) And we published five issues of this thing. And we, we we did it for about a year, me and my two friends, Sarah and Sarah. And so we published an essay. We wrote an essay in this book. It's called A Zine Called the Heresy, Angst and Apicorsus in a Modern Orthodox Jewish Day School. Um, And it was really fun to do, but it was also kind of painful because it, it brought us back. We had to we had to go back to hard parts of our adolescence, which I think for anybody that is a big challenge Um, and so we really had to revisit some tender places remembering just how the degree to which we felt like real misfits we we just felt like real rebellious misfits in Mm -hmm. our particular Jewish environment but yet we were also like trying so hard to be good in our own way, in a way that felt authentic and true to us. And so one of the most profound experiences of of writing that essay, you know, revisiting this and analyzing our really, like, crappy teenage poetry and stuff (laughs) was... It was kind of shocking to encounter the, the degree to which the seeds of who our adult selves would become, those little sproutlings 
were there Mm. and how that kind of rebelliousness, the desire to kind of like speak back to our environment, um, not just to be jerks, but in a in a productive and yeah. what we thought ethical kind of way, how that has ultimately carried through all the way to adulthood. So that experience is really fresh in my mind. Um, and we can talk about that more if you like. Um, I mean, it sounds like a great example of chutzpah, especially, um, I mean, it was also creative, right? Like you found a creative outlet to express... To, to rock the boat, right? Like what we already said. You were like, what is a way that I can do this as creatively, efficiently, and effectively as you can? Which, I mean, why not make a magazine, right? <laughs> like, that's that's a great way to do it. And you maybe stood a chance of someone acknowledging it in some way better than... <laughs> saying something out loud where someone would literally just walk away from you or yell at you. <laughs> well, and that that was a thing that we that we discussed in the essay was that this was an anonymous publication. Mm-hmm. Our names were nowhere on it. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that in the essay, you know, why why were we doing that? Um and on the one hand was just a simple kind of fear of retribution, sure. yeah. a fear of getting in trouble because we we were in a pretty this was a very strict environment. Mm-hmm. Um it was a very gendered environment. There were a lot of rules. It was a very halachic environment. The the Jewish kind of um uh uh rules system for lack of a better word. <laughs> um rules governing, you know, how you how you dress, how you eat, uh how you interact with people, um how you observe Sabbath. It was a very mm. rules based kind of um society. And so we were you know, nervous about retribution and getting in trouble. Um, and But we, we did have different personalities also. I definitely spent a lot more time in the principal's office than, <laughs> say, my, my co-author Sarah mm-hmm. did, who was, you know, a little bit better about hunkering down and getting really good grades. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in spite all of her angst and her struggles, mm-hmm. she was not getting sent down is a term that we talk about a lot getting sent down to the principal's office um and uh you know so there was there was a lot of that what did you learn from maybe making the zine or or getting your mouth rinsed with soap um that maybe you still apply to your life today Mm. the lessons learned oh my gosh lessons learned i believe in skepticism. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about, you know, skepticism about, like, the deep state and vaccines and <laughs> yeah. Pizzagate. Okay. Yeah. That's not really what, not, I'm not the, what we're talking about. <laughs> right? So I, I I think it's really important to to learn and critique at the same time. That is why we I think we were so attracted to that concept of heresy, the heretic, the apichorus, or um, you know, like I said, it's translated as a as a as a heretic or also just a plain old epicurean. Um it's kind of this this term with an interesting 
etymology. But the idea is that there is value in critiquing systems from within in order to hold them accountable. So we were not, our, our, our MO was not just like tear it all down, right? right? Uh, we, we were searching for what felt like a real authentic and meaningful code of ethics, a, a Judaism that really spoke to us. Mm-hmm. And we, we really struggled with the fact that we were being taught these lessons formally in school, right? Mm-hmm. You got to learn, you gotta, like, learn your Torah and your Mishnah and your, you know, your Jewish history. Oh, the, the temple period and the second temple period. And, you know, we were, we were learning all of these things about how we were supposed to be Jewish. And yet, we were also seeing behaviors modeled for us mm-hmm. that were problematic. Mm-hmm. And, and struck us as um, as not exactly ethical or fair. And we wanted to push back on that, right? Like, you know, and so we, we felt the need to question what we were being taught and then to seek out knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, to figure out if that was... To fill you know, in the gaps that formed. Right, and to uh-huh. really, you know, f- you know f- uh, obtain different kinds of answers right so and there's some there's some pretty you know strident examples things that were kind of shocking to us that we we simply we simply couldn't abide you know for instance in a traditional morning minion service you know there's blessings that you that you say and there's there Every morning, there's there's a, a blessing that only the boys and you know, and there was a machitza, you know, for morning mm-hmm. services. So that is a, a a divider in that. Just you know, for audience yeah. oops, who might not know, in a in a traditional Jewish prayer setting, men and women don't sit together. They're they're not. Um, there's not supposed to be contact there. There's not supposed to be visual contact even. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be separate. The idea is you're supposed to be focused on, you know, you're not supposed to be distracted right. by sexual things. Although, whew, what if you're queer? Right. Um, <laughs> but so there's there's a mechitza in the middle and there's a point in the, in the morning prayers where um, the boys all together say a prayer that, you know, like basically... Thanks, Hashem, you know, the Lord our God, Shaloh Asani Isha, who did not make me a woman. And then the girls get this equivalent version, right? They get this other prayer that's like, oh, thank you, God, for for making me the way I am. Hmm. (laughs) So, you know, as 13-year-olds, we were like, what? Yeah. This is, but no, this is, this is, this is BS. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's always an answer, right? And you, I, you talked about this, right? Like growing up yep. <laughs> in a Catholic environment, which I think also tends to be pretty strict mm-hmm. and hierarchy based. Yep. Um, I've often joked, in fact, that like, I feel like sometimes my Catholic friends understand me better than some of my Jewish friends because it's a matter of growing up in what level of intensity, right? So there's always an answer, right? 
there's there's always a turn of phrase. There's always like, oh, it's it's separate but equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know, God loves men and women together. There's just special roles for each one, and 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 women have a very holy and divine role. You know, it's just, um, it's just like you know, little things like that where we would just be like constantly being like why Mm -hmm. and then I don't want to right I don't want to say that I don't want to say that and then at that point you're you you're at risk for getting in trouble (laughs) for non-compliance right right (laughs) well and it's a combination of um yeah you want to ask the questions and most of the time if you're the type of person who really wants to get into the questions you will eventually need to accept I don't know as an answer, which is so much more constructive than whatever you make up. (laughs) To say I don't know is opening the window to allow for more noncompliance because it's like, well, if you don't know, then why do I have to do it? And I don't want to do it. So I am not going to do it because you don't have an answer for me. Mm -hmm. And so I understand why it's really scary and hard if you are an authority figure to ever say that you don't know. But sometimes that's like the leeway to allow for critical thinking and to make decisions for yourself and to become a more self-actualized person. And it's just, it's a shame that like we can't allow for the gray and to swim in it for a little bit because that's how you really figure out more of who you are. We just try to thrive in the black and white and it's just not, you're not going to get it Absolutely. And in... In certain Jewish traditions, that structure is, like, there, but also not there at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you know, Talmudic discourse, right? What are you doing except reading Mm -hmm. a bunch of people kind of arguing with each other, right? Except they are men. Right. (laughs) They're also generally ensconced in history, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like they're allowed to argue with each other right. across time. <laughs> but then at a certain point, the window closes. It yeah. becomes sort of like discursively ossified. Mm-hmm. You can't go back in there. And then the people who do, well, now what you're doing is you're venturing outside of orthodoxy in order right. to do that, right? Yeah. And so... modern orthodoxy was all about this really delicate kind of like balancing act uh, between two worlds. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we were given, unlike some more orthodox environments where we were uh, prohibited from even accessing, Mm. you know, literature, uh, TV, music, Mm -hmm. etc. We were allowed to access those things. We were allowed to... um, you know, consume, like, listen to secular music or all that stuff. But the expectation was that it's like you can have those things, but you have to, you can't, you can't go too far, right? right it's right. like you can dabble in that stuff, yeah. but you can't run away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really difficult line we were, we were trying to figure out. Yeah. Like, how does someone draw their own path, especially, you know, if you're a woman, um, you know, there were, you know, I, I think 
there were other things that we really took issue with and, and tried to push back on in our zine was there in in the essay we kind of broke down the chapters. There was a chapter about or a section I should say about um about gender and trying to find our place as <laughs> as as young women. Uh but there was also we were struggling a lot with coming to terms with what we realize, what we would now call class consciousness, mm. um, and the socioeconomics of our Jewish community, right? right? We were being told in class at school, you know, we are all, you know, I'm Yisroel. We are all one big Jewish people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's created in, you know, Fetzelam Elohim, like in the image of God. We're all equal. But, we're not dumb. We knew that we were not equal. And we saw that inequality played out in our school based on um, economics. And that there were kids from wealthier families and there were kids from poor families. You know, the scholarship kids. Mm. Um, spoiler, we were all scholarship kids. <laughs> <laughs> um and there was just this really unsettling pattern whereby, like, the kids from wealthier families whose parents, you know, donated to the fundraisers and paid full tuition mm-hmm. were allowed to be mean. I mean, they were allowed to bully and tease. Yeah. And they were never really reined in. They were never told to stop, mm-hmm. right? Because their their family had had influence and clout um, as these financial pillars. <laughs> and we were like, <laughs> I think we were in middle school and really in high school and we started like realizing that this was not an accident but a pattern. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we were like, hey, this is wrong. It's not mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm Yisrael. We're not all one. Yeah. There's a lot of different stuff going on here. Um, but of course, and even to this day, when you start bringing up stuff like that in Jewish communities, it can be divisive, right? There's an understanding, oh, we want to help the people in our community Mm -hmm. who might have less money. But then speaking out of turn is asking questions like, why do you have more money than them? And do you deserve to have more money than them? Mm -hmm. Is this a just and fair arrangement? And at that point, you are. <laughs> right. You're kind of in a chutzpah territory. In You know, you're speaking out of turn or making people uncomfortable. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But in a way, aren't you also doing what everyone has done in the books that we study in Jewish thought? <gasps> Ooh, I love that you're going there. Are there <laughs> any that come to mind? Let's do, let's do like... Narrative analysis. Oh, man. I don't know. I didn't, like, learn a lot of it because it wasn't my whole background. But, you know, we were talking about the Talmud earlier, which is mostly people arguing about what the hell is this and why do we do this and what Mm -hmm. does this matter? Mm -hmm. And then someone coming up with an answer and someone coming up with something else and then eventually some type of consensus to move Mm -hmm. forward. But in a way, one one of the things that I always loved about my experiences with Judaism is that they were like, the things that you say and write down today count just as much because you're doing the exact same thing that they did, which was to read it and say, what the hell is this? 
And that was like super empowering for me. Um, and one of the things that I fell in love with because oh, it is essentially when you say, I can't believe somebody said that yes, to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously, they, they did. Um, I mean, now, now I work with the people who said that to me, right? That's how much I loved it. And, and it meant so much to me. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, see, I didn't really know. I didn't know very much about other forms of Judaism until I was a fully formed adult, Mm -hmm. you know? And then it was like this really interesting experience of actually meeting my husband, Josh, who grew up in a really different kind of environment. He grew up in a a very, um, like kind of unaffiliated reform, you know, Mm -hmm. they would, they would go to classical reform temple in in Manhattan on the high holidays, um, there, you know, but it, there was not a whole lot of observance. There weren't a whole lot of rules. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then when he was in college, he, he started studying religion and, um, and then over time got more and more interested in reconnecting with his own Judaism and mm-hmm. kind of like, um, undertaking pretty intensive study in, in, and even went to rabbinical school for a couple of years wow. in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And when I met him, I was like, oh my gosh, how is this like <laughs> working? <laughs> I reflect on it now. <laughs> wow. We t- I took such a, I don't consider myself a person of faith, but I, I took a leap of faith on him mm-hmm. because that's important. It's really, it's important for me to have those experiences of people who were able to come to Judaism in a purely, like, joyful way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and not, and not a way that felt like kind of this structure mm-hmm. being, like, imposed on you to the point where you just, like, couldn't be yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, or that there were consequences for being yourself. Right. So thank you for, yeah. well, <laughs> for sharing your joy. Like, just to also kind of level things out in a way. So was raised Catholic and converted to Judaism. I, one of my partner's like childhood friends mm-hmm. actually converted to Catholicism wow. before marrying her husband, who was also in that friend group who was raised mm-hmm. Catholic. Um, I think they all were maybe. And anyways, when I met her, I was like, no way I converted to Judaism from Catholicism. Like we should, what, how does this work? And it was the same, like what you're experiencing where it was really beautiful for me to hear her talk about the things that she fell in love with about Catholicism and to hear like, to know one that yes, that like that was true then. And it is still true now. Like that Mm -hmm. is something that happens. And I'm so glad that you find joy in it and that it empowers you because you get to have this beautiful path into it. That wasn't Mm -hmm. mine. And yeah, so I can relate to that experience of, of, uh, you know, kind of how surreal it is for someone to find such beauty in something that was really painful for you. But Mm -hmm. it's true. And that's, that's, the nuance of it. Uh, it's so interesting because, well, where's my place? Like, where mm-hmm. is the place for the 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 former rebel? Yeah. <laughs> like, still yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a rebel um, at heart. And I think that that is 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to refine my tactics, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're not on the, you know, same 15-year-old uh, wavelength <laughs> right. of just, like, writing out, like, Nirvana lyrics, yeah. <laughs> you know, with, like, I'm, that's not going to, that's not how I speak anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it's sort of like, well, what are the tactics, right? Mm-hmm. How can I still, how can I find my place within Judaism and the the Jewish world, mm-hmm. um, while retain my my innate right to kind of like critique yeah. my own <laughs> critique my own people, to yes. critique my own culture, and to try to like hold it accountable. Not because I just want to be a jerk, no, but because like I really care, and I'm always like, what, like, what are the values? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we saying versus, like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe, and I don't want to speak for you, but maybe part of it, too, is to help make sure that other people don't have to, like, suffer the way that it sounds like you did, right? Like, mm. Lord, God forbid we update a little bit. And maybe that doesn't change everything, but maybe we can do it in a less harmful way. Um, what, the, you, what you said also reminds me a lot of, like, if... You're born in America, you are an American. And then that's the similar grapple, right? Is like, oh man, like I know I'm an American, but man, I really get frustrated with this place and I don't like it and I can feel stifled a lot. But to me, like the best way to be patriotic is to go protest, like is to use your rights and is to say, hello. Yeah. Do you know how wrong this is? Because someone's got to point it out to you. And it sounds like very similar. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, someone has to Absolutely. Point these things out. The danger is it's really interesting. I've I've thought about this a lot, you know. Um as a historian, um I had this really amazing, I took this really amazing path through life that I I put off, you know, being a grown-up professional for as long as I could, (laughs) right? But And so I basically, you know, made it my job to just learn, learn, learn. Yeah. um, And and think and (laughs) learn and think and ponder and struggle. Um, So I've thought about this a lot. And I think that, you know, I think that Jews are not, Unique. I think that this is something that happens to a lot of minority populations. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a kind of uh, vulnerable or embattled minority, yeah, right? Yeah. Where, you, you know, you feel a little bit, like, naked out there mm-hmm. in the larger culture. Um, naked and vulnerable. You don't want to do anything that's going to bring... Um, shame or, like, negative attention onto your group, right? Right. There is this idea we do not air our dirty laundry. Yep. Because the Goyam are only too happy to have an excuse to pounce on us, Mm -hmm. right? I get that. And for, you know, (laughs) in many times and many places in Jewish history, that's a matter of life or death. Yeah. But the problem is... Is that, you know, we don't, the problem is that I don't think we're really, like, honest with ourselves, like, individually or community about how much diversity and just straight up strife is in our midst. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, And that the story of communities, I think particularly Jewish communities, if you really start digging in, 
Yeah. Our stories of, uh, of, of tremendous coming together and working together, but also profound, bitter, um, strife and disagreement and, um, struggle. Mm -hmm. And that, that is, you know, that is part of our legacy. Um, it's just that we have to kind of, we have to hide it externally and sometimes to ourselves as a self-protective measure. Now, I don't know how we get out of that. Um, I like to think that even just naming it Mm -hmm. (laughs) is a step. (laughs) I'm trying to help, right? (laughs) So am I doing chutzpah right now? Is it chutzpah to say to the world on a podcast, um, Jewish people are highly diverse and, like, mm-hmm. often don't get along. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, man. And sometimes Please. even do bad things. Yeah. Yes. All of these things are true. You also just said to tell the world, and I was going to point out, I have a very strong little group of people in Belgium who have been listening to this. What? And I have no idea why or who you are, but if you're listening today, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Um, wow. I'm glad that you found this. So, yeah, it really is the world. And the world does need to know that. Because, like, I've heard so many different, um, like, minority groups kind of have to go through the same thing. You have to protect your narrative of your group of people. Right. For sure. Absolutely. I know. I think what I think we need not just individual therapy, yeah. but, like, collective yeah. <laughs> therapy well i do think we should probably wrap it up here um yeah but thanks for this is amazing thank you bridget i think that creating this forum is just really really cool (laughs) thank you i appreciate it i like it let's just say we learned a lot today take care of yourselves everyone i'm bridget bard shalom